I'm going to read from today's scripture passage, and you can find it in your bulletin. And it comes from a variety of different proverbs. This is the word of God. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is, has a hasty temper exalts folly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. This is the word of the Lord. If you're joining us for the first time, or if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, what we're doing all until through the summer is we are going through the book of Proverbs, And within the book of Proverbs, what I thought we would do is look at the seven ways of folly. Uh, Traditionally, you might be familiar with something called the seven deadly sins, things like pride, things like envy, things like sloth. Uh, All of these things we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks in order to describe what a life of folly looks like. Last week, we looked at pride, and today, uh, I think we're going to look at something that's probably relevant to all of us. We're going to look at anger. Now, anger is, uh, is a, it's a very big topic, right? Anger is a very big topic, and it's not exactly easy to write a sermon on anger. And I think one of the reasons why it's not easy uh, is because, you know, talking about anger, I think, requires a lot of nuance. Anger is something that is complex. There's a kind of anger that is, of course, bad, but not all anger is bad. Uh, there are times when we should be angry, and it would be a problem if we weren't angry. But then there are times where, Clearly, our anger is something that is destructive, that clearly our anger is something that uh, expresses uh, something within our heart that is not exactly good. And when we think about anger, I think probably what we first think about is the kind of person that really blows up and yells and screams and shouts and loses control of themselves. And there is a kind of anger that is very explosive, but there's also a kind of anger that maybe is passive-aggressive, maybe a little bit cold, maybe a little bit quieter. Uh, But that kind of anger can also be problematic. And, you know, even the solution to anger, if you think about it, is a little bit complex because it's not as though we can just deal with anger by itself, but anger is actually something that is connected to the entire person. So anger is connected to things like fear, or anger is connected to things like our desires. Anger is connected to things like our insecurity. And so anger is interconnected with all these different aspects of who we are, And even to find and discover a solution to anger can be somewhat complex. But here is something that I think I can say with confidence. Uh, All of us have anger issues. And there is a certain kind of anger that is foolish and that reflects folly. And according to Proverbs 14.29, it says this, He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So what I want to do is I want to start this message by just observing anger anger in our daily lives. And this week, as I was thinking about this message, of course, I was extra sensitive to seeing anger and observing anger. And I realized something very clear. Anger is everywhere. Every day, anger is there. I saw anger uh, when the trains were delayed and people's commutes 
home were delayed. I saw anger when I was walking uh, on the street and a biker was just riding his bike on the street and then a car that wanted to pass couldn't pass. And what does the car do? Ah, get out of the way! And the biker turns around he says, right, says some expletives and then they start screaming at each other and then woo, the, the car zooms past this biker. You see that all the time. Uh, I saw anger watching TV and watching a basketball game and one player did something that another player didn't like and viewed it as disrespectful and that player responded with anger. I saw anger when I was with my youngest daughter this week and uh, we went to uh, a, a little restaurant and she was really hungry so she's like screaming and I gave her some pretzels to hold her over. Her food came out, the pasta came out, tried to take the pretzels away and she went nuclear, and she went ballistic. Anger, everywhere. But you know what? I've also been very sensitive to anger within myself. Yes, I am an angry person. <laughs> uh, maybe that's uh, surprising to you, but uh, I'm probably the latter of like my anger. I can hide it pretty well, but I tell you, anger is inside of me. Uh, my wife sees my anger uh, every Friday night. What happens Friday night? Well, uh, in my town, Friday night is party night. And uh, in our apartment, we live uh, at a busy intersection. And outside of our bedroom window is a traffic light. Because it's party night, people want to have fun. People are happy. And people are driving with their windows wide open, blasting music really loudly at like 11, 12 at night, sometimes 1 o'clock at night. And what I always do is I get out of bed. I, op- I look out the window. I go, why are you playing the music so loud and I get really angry moreover you know we have kids we have two kids and they're sleeping and I don't want these cars to wake my kids up and uh, you know when my kids wake up in the middle of the night sometimes I get angry you know I get angry when I'm uh, walking my dog and I see dog poop all over the sidewalk because other dog owners didn't pick up their dog's poop And I go, what? How inconsiderate? Pick up your dog's poop. (laughs) I get angry. Uh, As I said, when my oldest daughter doesn't feel like sleeping at night and uh, she begins to play in her room and my daughter share a room and she ends up waking up my youngest daughter and then my youngest daughter wakes up in the middle of the night and she starts crying and screaming. I mean, my wife gets really angry too. Actually, my wife got angry at me when that happened this week because I gave my oldest daughter a cupcake and she thinks that's why she wasn't sleeping. Anger. Everywhere. You know what? I also got angry this morning. You know why I got angry this morning? Our garage door in our building broke and as we were getting, going to church, uh, I had to manually like push it up, but the garage door is like really heavy and I couldn't do it. I'm like, <laughs> trying to get it up. And I was like, why is the garage door broken today? I am sure if you were extra sensitive to your life and the things that surround you, you would see anger all the time as well. You would not only see it in other people, you would not only see it at work, you would not only see it on the streets, you would especially see it in the subways, I think. But you will also see anger in your own heart and in your own actions. You see, anger, I think, is like fire in many ways. Uh, When it's this slow burn and it's somewhat under control, uh, it can actually be somewhat useful and it can be used for good. But when it becomes out of control and it becomes this wildfire, it can decimate everything. 
It can destroy everything. And you may be surprised to hear that anger can be good, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I know you probably won't be surprised to hear that anger can be really destructive because here's what my guess is. At some point in our lives, we've all had those experiences where we just blew up in anger or we did something clearly wrong in anger, where we had regrets because of our anger, where we said things that we shouldn't have said, where we, had, we did things we shouldn't have done, where we felt embarrassed, where we felt ashamed. These are experiences with anger that we don't want to have. Anger is powerful as well. There's a uh, physical aspect of anger, I think, that it does something to us physiologically. We feel anger in the pit of our stomach. Uh, when we're super angry, we start to, to shake a little bit and we clench our fists or we clench our jaws. We start to breathe a little bit heavier. Our temperature goes up a little bit. Our face gets a little bit red. There's an emotional part of anger as well. We feel such intense anger that in that moment we can stop thinking about our actions and the consequences of our actions and, and we just do what we feel. Anger can be so powerful that I think it can also temporarily uh, make us not feel pain for a moment. If, if anybody's ever gotten into a physical fist fight and you're really angry, you could get punched in the face and in that moment you're so angry you don't feel it right until later. Anger is a strange thing, and it can be so, so, so powerful. Now, here's, here's the danger of anger. The danger of anger is that oftentimes it can feel like this foreign beast with inside us, and uh, you often hear people talk about their anger, and they say, well, that's not really who I am. I was just angry. And there's this kind of disconnect between you as a person and the anger that is within you. You know, the Hulk from the Avengers is probably a good illustration maybe of how we sometimes view our anger. There is this green monster within us, and that green monster is kind of like another person separate from us. So Hulk is not the same person as Bruce Banner, and what Hulk does, Bruce Banner is not exactly responsible for or accountable for, and perhaps that's how we see our anger. I was just angry in that moment. That wasn't really me. But guess what? You know, the Bible doesn't view anger in that way. Anger is not like some beast that is within us that comes out and takes over our body. Anger is something that we do. We are angry. We are that beast. We are responsible for how we act when we are angry. And when we talk about anger, it's so easy to refer to it as an it, as if it's something disconnected from us. It is something to be managed. It is something to be dealt with. It is something to be rid of. But the reality is, no, I am something that needs to, I am somebody that needs to change. I am the one who has a problem with anger. We are angry people. And if that's the case, then I think what we need more of is heart transformation. I don't think coping mechanisms, although they can be helpful, is ultimately what we need. We need heart transformation. Now, why do we get angry? What are we saying when we are angry? Essentially, we're saying this at its most simple level. We're saying, I am against that. I am against being inconvenienced. I am against being disrespected. I am against being late. I am against a rude attitude. I am against incompetence. I am against losing money. I'm against a messy room. I'm against wasting time. I'm against getting lost in the car. I'm against people who get me lost in the car, we could write a long, long, long list of the things that we are against. But 
we also have to realize that sometimes it is right to be against certain things, right? It's good to be against various kinds of evil. It's good to be against the mistreatment of women, as has been coming out recently. It's good to be against the abuse of children, which came out with uh, Larry Nasser. It's good to be against corruption and any kind of systemic injustice. Sometimes it is good to be against things, right? So how do we discern whether we should be angry or not? How do we discern how we should express the good kind of anger? And you know, that's not an easy question to answer. Generally speaking, uh, what I would say is, if your anger is self-serving, then it's probably not good. Uh, If your anger serves others, then it's probably a good thing. But I'm sure there's exceptions to that as well. You know, Proverbs, uh, it really does give us a couple things to chew on when we think about anger. Uh, We've been saying that not all anger is bad. And if you'll notice in the Proverbs here, it doesn't say, don't get angry. But what does it say? It says, be slow to anger. Slow to anger. It doesn't say anger exalts folly, but it says a hasty temper exalts folly. Here, I think it's talking about a kind of quick-tempered anger that is simply reacting to the moment. That kind of anger is often foolish. You look at 14.29, it says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Now, what does it mean to be slow to anger? I think it means this, at least partially. It means that you can exercise some kind of patience, some kind of mercy, some kind of grace, at least in the moment when the reason for your anger confronts you. Uh, It means that you can suspend uh, the emotional power of your anger for a moment, and you can hear something that you may not want to hear. Uh, It means that you can reflect on whether your anger is something that is bad or something that is self-serving or whether your anger can be used for good, or whether your anger can be used to serve others. Because you see, self-serving anger oftentimes reacts hastily, like a temper. Self-serving anger lashes out at people. You want someone to know your displeasure. You want someone to know or someone to be punished for the very thing that they did for you. And so you lash out in anger. Self-serving anger, I think, is an attempt to use anger as a way to make yourself feel better or to bring everybody else down. Self-serving anger isn't out to seek perfect justice, but it's out for blood and it's out for punishment. More often than not, its aim is to hurt others more than we ourselves have been hurt. Now let me take you into my mind for a minute, and hopefully nobody is uh, stumbled by uh, me revealing what happens in my mind when I'm angry. I'm going to be very honest with you. Actually, I'm going to be three-quarters honest with you. I'm not going to be fully honest with you. (laughs) Three-quarters honest with you. Uh, You know those cars that are driving and they're parked at the red light and their music is blasting for about 45 seconds to a minute and uh, I'm just staring at that car and saying, why do you have to play your music so loud? Why is your bass and your subwoofer so loud? You know what I'm thinking in that moment? I'm thinking, I want to get a brick and I want to just chuck it at the car, right? I'm thinking I want to get a sledgehammer and run out the door and just like whoosh, whoosh, right? Destroy the speakers and destroy the subwoofer. I'm thinking I want to see that person's face when I'm doing these things. That's that's what's going on in my mind in my anger. I become a little bit crazy. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do that. 
and that would be wrong. But it, it, you analyze that kind of fantasy that I'm having in my head in that moment of anger. You know what? I'm not thinking, gee, I hope a police officer comes and says, hey, that's, a, that's noise pollution. That's a violation. Let me give you a ticket or let me give you a fine. That's justice, right? But that's not what I want in the moment of anger. That's what anger does. That's why it's so self-serving. It is not out for justice. It is out for vengeance. It is out for punishment. I don't care about justice in that moment. I just want that car to suffer and that music to stop playing. And I think that's why impulsive reactions in the moment of anger are generally not a good thing. That's why we don't have understanding in that moment. Your sense of reality, your sense of right and wrong is distorted. And you often do things, if you act upon that anger, you often do things that you are going to regret later. And that's why it's wise to be slow to anger. You see, as this proverb says, you have great understanding when you're slow to anger versus somebody who has a hasty temper. According to 1632, the person who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Now, what is it talking about here? I think right here it has in view some kind of military leader. You see, a leader who can control their temper and be slow to anger is actually better than a leader who uh, is physically strong or physically mighty. Why? Well, think about it. If you're a soldier, who do you want to entrust your life to uh, in battle, in conflict? Do you want to entrust your life to the kind of leader that makes these impulsive decisions out of anger? Or do you want to entrust your life to someone who isn't controlled by their anger, who can make better strategic decisions because they are slow to anger? And I think for most of us, we would, wanna, we would feel safer if that leader was somebody who was slow to anger. And that's how the Proverbs views and understands a good leader, a wise leader. You know, I wonder how many wars in history went too long because certain leaders were too hot-tempered. Anger, I think, seems to heighten the intensity of a conflict because what anger does is it begets more anger. That's why 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, when I was watching that interaction between the person riding the bicycle and the person driving the car, they demonstrated the truth of this proverb. The driver honked and yelled at the biker. What did the biker do? Cursed out the car. What did the car do? Cursed out the biker. And isn't that a great picture of how conflict oftentimes escalates? Someone says to us something that we don't like, and we have to show that person that we don't like it. And that person doesn't like our response, and they have to show us that they don't like our response. And you know what? In my experience, I've never really seen that kind of scenario end up with one person saying, you know, I love your passion, and I realize I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Anger never leads to that, right? That never happens because that kind of anger rarely leads to a path of peace. And yet, if you are able to give a soft answer in, your, in response to anger, it, it does oftentimes de-escalate an angry situation. You know, uh, there was a teacher that was telling me last week, uh, she learned that one of the best ways to talk to an angry student or a student who was blowing up is actually to start speaking softer and softer, like literally softer and softer and softer. And oftentimes uh, that tactic would work and it would calm the student so they can have a more productive dialogue. See, anger oftentimes begets anger. That's what it's saying in the Proverbs. Now, if anger begets anger, then it is very possible to be trapped in a constant cycle of anger. And if you are in some kind of longer-term relationship and you never uh, 
I guess you never um, uh, are able to somewhat control your anger, and both people are angry all the time, then the conflict will escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. And for whatever reason, I think in the moment, we think we can out-anger the other person and we will win. But in order to get there, in order to quote-unquote win, usually what happens, you have to do something very extreme in that anger. But that's not good. That's not productive. What we need to do is we need to break the cycle. And it's a problem because being slow to anger and giving a soft answer in response to anger is not always the easiest thing to do. And so how do we do that? Well, as I said before, I think the answer is complex. It's not simple. And the reason it's not simple is because anger is connected to so many aspects of who we are. Anger is obviously connected to our pride. We escalate our anger because we want to win. We escalate in anger because there is a competitive aspect to our anger. We escalate anger because our egos have been damaged or hurt or someone has attacked us. Anger is connected to fear. Have you ever seen a parent start screaming at their child after their child maybe runs into the middle of the street? Why is the parent's anger so intense in that moment? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with fear. They were afraid that this child could get seriously hurt or get hit by a car. Anger is also complex because we don't always direct our anger in the right direction or to the right person. Have you ever yelled at somebody who didn't deserve it because you were angry at something else that happened in the course of your day? And that person's like, what the heck? Why are you yelling at me? And they don't know why you're really angry. And by the way, that works in our relationship with God, and oftentimes we can direct our anger towards God, and it's misdirected anger, but uh, we're angry at something else. Anger is connected, I think, to our insecurity, and therefore if someone does something to embarrass us or to make us feel small, then our insecurities will heighten the anger that we have. And so, you know, the question, how do we deal with our anger, is really not the right question to ask because it's a very incomplete question. Because at the end of the day, anger is not the issue that we have. It's not like we can divide anger from ourselves and from all of these other issues that we have. That's too myopic of a view, I think. I think the only way that we really can deal with our anger is we have to have the core of who we are changed and transformed. Or in the language of the Bible, we we need a a heart transformation. You know, when it comes to our core, there is actually uh, very little that I think we can do, that we have the power to do, that we can will ourselves to do. If you think about a tree, uh, it's much easier to uh, maybe fix a tree that is unhealthy and say, well, I'm just going to prune the branches a little bit and fix the tree in that way. But when a tree is uh, sick or dying from the level of the root, You know, pruning the branches is not really going to do anything to make the tree healthy again. I think dealing with our anger is a a little bit like uh, trying to just focus on the branches and trying to prune the trees. And it may help the tree look better for a period of time, but guess what? It doesn't do anything in terms of the overall health of the tree. It doesn't deal with it at the level of the root. And therefore, it's not going to do anything to save the tree. And here, I think, is where we get to the, uh, the heart of the, the gospel and Christianity and what Christianity is trying to say and trying to do. You know, it's not ultimately interested in pruning trees. 
It's not ultimately interested in behavior modification. It's not ultimately interested in coping mechanisms, although, again, these things can be helpful. God is not simply, uh, does not simply want to redeem our behavior and uh, make us look a certain way on the outside, but he wants to get at the root and he wants to change our hearts. God wants to heal us from our dead roots so that we can produce healthy branches and healthy fruit. And part of that fruit is to be slow to anger. Now, how is God going to do this? And, uh, I, you know, ironically, God does this through anger, through his anger. You know, as I mentioned before, God, uh, you know, all kinds of anger is not wrong. And the reason we can say that confidently is because God is an angry God. God is an angry God. And I know that's not something that Western people like to say or like to think about. Western people would much rather say God is a God of love, which is also true, uh, but they don't like to say that God is angry. But you know, God's anger and God's love are actually intimate friends. They're, they're connected. Uh, God is angry, not in spite of his love, but because he loves. He's angry at sin. He's uh, angry at corruption. He's angry at evil. He's angry at decay. His anger is saying, I am against something. I am against sin. I am against death. I am against corruption of sin on my beloved people. And that's why God is an angry God. And we see the climax of his anger in the New Testament. You know, uh, occasionally I do get this question and people read the Bible and they say, you know, in the Old Testament, God seems to be so angry, but then when I read the New Testament, I don't see God's anger at all. And uh, I usually say this, well, I think it's actually in the New Testament where you see God the most angry and they say, where? I don't see it. I don't see it. And I say, well, the cross, of course. It's on the cross where God is the most angry. When Jesus is on the cross, that is when his full wrath is poured out upon his son. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he's sweating blood and he's asking the Father to take this cup away from me and Jesus is shaken to the core. Why is he shaken? It's not because of the physical pain that he knows he's going to go through as he dies a death of crucifixion. He is shaken to the core because he knows the cup that he will have to drink, the cup of God's wrath. He knows that he is going to be the recipient or the scapegoat of God's anger for all our sin. He knows that he is going to be the one to exhaust God's anger so that there would be none left for you and I. God is most angry in the New Testament, in the gospel, when Jesus is hanging upon the cross because in that moment, God's anger for sin is poured out upon his son. And so you see, when you try to diminish God's anger, what you actually do is you diminish God's love, you diminish the cross, you diminish the very price that Jesus himself paid for us so that we would be spared from God's anger. And you know, when we know both, I think, the anger of God and the love of God on the cross, there, it, there is something that it's supposed to do to us. It is supposed to change us to our core. It is supposed to transform our hearts and perhaps at a different pace for different people, but at the end of the day, it does change our hearts. And when our hearts are changed, you know what else it should do? On the one hand, it does make us less angry at things that bother us. 
It makes us less angry when we don't get what we want. It makes us less angry when we feel insulted. It makes us less angry when we feel uh, unfairly treated. But also, it actually should make us angrier people. How so? Well, because of the cross, when Jesus transforms our hearts, we should have something within our hearts that say, I'm against that. I'm against that sin. I'm against that injustice. You know, anger is a, is a fighting emotion. Uh, you know, there's this book I'm drawing a lot of this material from, uh, one of my old counseling professors, and uh, he writes, anger is a fighting emotion. Anger is a justice emotion. And when we see evil and when we see injustice, And when we see those who are being oppressed and unfairly treated, there should be a part of us that actually gets angry. And we get angry, why? Because we love. Because we love people. And because all people are created in the image of God. Now, I know that can work in a variety of ways. It can work from very uh, small things to very large things. But very small things at work. If you are in a, in a position where you, maybe you have some influence and you see somebody being mistreated, uh, these days perhaps you see a, a female being mistreated. If you see uh, somebody who maybe is a lowly intern being mistreated, then perhaps you say, that person doesn't deserve to be treated in that way. And perhaps that, an anger kind of comes out that is not a blow-up kind of anger, not a destructive kind of anger, but that's not right kind of anger. And uh, I, th- I, think, I think when we have new hearts, that's actually a good thing. Uh, there's a lot of systemic injustice around the world. Uh, there's a lot of injustice that's taking place here in our city. And uh, maybe the easy response is to kind of ignore it and to run away from it. But I think as God changes our hearts, there should be a kind of good anger there that says, I need to um, do something, whatever I can, whether small or large. I need to do something about it. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to um, share this, but I guess, um, I guess this is a, a, a good fitting ending. You know, uh, the news is really disturbing to read, and um, I don't know about you, but sometimes you read the news and you, you do get angry. It's kind of like, what's going on in the world? All right, why, why are there so many shootings in the world? And, uh, you know, I'm not going to make any uh, political statement, uh, but just what is wrong? What is going on in the world? Why is all this sexual harassment going on in, uh, in all of these places? And, uh, you know, one of the things that gets me most angry is uh, when there's sexual abuse to children. And I don't know if uh, how closely you followed things that happened uh, with Larry Nasser. Uh, if you're familiar with him, he is a doctor, uh, he worked for USA Olympics gymnastics team. He, uh, he also worked for Michigan State University, and they ended up set making a settlement and paying $500 million. Um, <coughs> he, uh, he abused at, at least, I think, 150 girls, probably more, but that, that's what's known throughout the course of his decades of being a doctor. Uh, there's this one... A person named Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, she's uh, somebody who was uh, recently, I think, she's in Time Magazine 
one of the 100 influential people that they chose. Uh, she was one of the first people to uh, bring official charges against Larry Nasser, and she went public, and she went to a, a newspaper and told her story. And she, uh, she kind of opened the floodgates for other victims to kind of come out and tell their story. And she, you know, you listen to, you read interviews by her, um, you know, something that went viral, the reason she became so well-known is because of something that she said in court, addressing both the court and also addressing her abuser, Larry Nasser. And uh, just to summarize, I think it's worth watching if you find it on YouTube. It's worth watching. It's a very powerful statement. Uh, she's also a believer, and she's a strong believer. And, uh, you know, her husband went to seminary. Um, uh, I think she's a, I, I think it's a family that is very devoted to uh, God, has a high view of the Bible, and these kind of things. And she was basically, for a long time, you know, it's hard for a victim of sexual abuse to go public. And uh, she's, you know, after she had, she has a couple of kids, and after she had a couple of kids, you know, she talks about, like, how it was just heart-wrenching to know that he's still out there. Uh, when she turned 25, uh, she lamented because when she turned 25, the statute of limitations uh, in terms of when you can bring a charge against somebody who does that, uh, she thought had expired, so she thought she couldn't do anything about it anymore, but that statute of limitations actually got lifted, and she didn't know, and that's how Larry Nasser ended up getting punished or going to jail for what he did. But she's calculating. She's like, you know, if I go public with this, you know, I'm going to lose my privacy. Uh, I'm going to have to relive the abuse over and over again as I have to testify. Uh, she had to avoid grocery stores because she became, I guess, big news, and she would be on magazine covers, and she's with her children, and she doesn't want her children to see her on these magazine covers. She paid a great cost, is essentially what I'm saying. She's addressing Larry Nasser, and she's recalling the cost that she had to pay to be at that moment. And at the time, she didn't even think going public and telling the story was actually going to end up doing anything. She thought eventually it was going to lose and he would go free anyway. But she says, here's why I did it. To put simply, it was the right thing to do. It was not what I wanted to do, but it was the right thing to do. And then she goes on and she talks about grace. And she says, look, you claim... Uh, you want forgiveness from God. If you read your Bible, you know God is an angry God and people like you receive his fiery wrath and eternal torment. And you have to reach a place of true repentance if God is going to extend forgiveness to you. And she, she says something amazing. She says, you know, you don't need forgiveness from me. Ultimately, you need it from God, but I'll extend it to you as well. You know, I think what was so theologically uh, rich about what she says is, you know, oftentimes I think as Christians we say grace, 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 forgiveness, 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 and we kind of dampen the aspect of God's justice and the aspect of God's wrath and the reality of God's wrath. And what that ends up doing is it cheapens the gospel. And she says, if you come to a point where you understand God's wrath in your life and you come to a place of repentance and if you ever come to a place where you can actually receive God's forgiveness, there is going to be nothing sweeter than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you have to be crushed first. You have to be crushed by your guilt, by your evil, by all the things that you've done, by all the damage that you have done. You have to be crushed, and you can't simply say, God, forgive me, and boom, it happens. Essentially, you have to come into contact with a God who is angry. And then his, the sweetness of his love and forgiveness will be real to you 
as it was for me. Anger is a mechanism. I think that is good. And I think she's a great example of how to be angry in a Proverbs kind of way. It wasn't this uh, hasty temper, although I think she's entitled to have that hasty temper. It wasn't a, I want to destroy you. You know, if I was a father of one of those girls, uh, and I think a father did this, I would want to attack him, and I would want to destroy him, <laughs> just, to, just to be honest. But she was very measured and tempered. Uh, she even had the ability to, uh, in a sense, preach the gospel to him and tell him about Christ and what he did. But she also said, you deserve to be punished for what you did. (laughs) Because what you did is you ruined a lot of girls' lives. And I think she is a great example of anger that is used for good. And now, I mean, I think she's like super busy now. uh, But she advocates for victims of uh, sexual abuse and children. She wants to protect children who have been sexually abused. I think that kind of anger is a good thing. And I think that's the right way to use anger. But here's the reality of things. Most of us use our anger for self-serving reasons, right? To get what I want, to show my displeasure, to punish the other person. We need less of that anger. How's that going to happen? The core of us has to be changed. And Christ has to give us a new heart. Praise be to God that it is not an impossibility. It is not something that we do on our own, but by God's grace, it is something that he extends to us and is something that he gives to us. May we all grow richly in the heart of Christ and be angry at the things that we ought to be angry at and not so angry at the things that we shouldn't be too upset about. Let's pray together.